Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome into the Eagles Player Analysis Podcast. I am your guest host for the day. Victor is out traveling for the holidays, so uh, strap up. It might be a bumpy ride today, but I'm going to try on my hosting chops today. Uh, I am joined today by a special guest co-host. I'm sure you've read his work on Bleeding Green Nation. You've seen his film threads on Twitter. If you haven't, you're following the Eagles the wrong way. Uh, It is Johnny Page. Johnny, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? I am good. This is actually my first time. I think I've been writing for Bleeding Green for about seven years on and off, but I think it's my first time ever on a podcast that's not the instant reaction. So I feel nice and chill. It's the first time doing this. Um, we were saying sort of off air, I, am, I have way too many opinions on the Cowboys game. I'm almost bored of it. So uh, hopefully that's not a great way to start the podcast, but hopefully I've got a lot of takes anyway, because I've watched this game a lot this week. It's a holiday season, so I've had a lot of free time. And I've probably watched this game more than any other game uh, this year for my sins so I feel pretty good I got quite a lot of takes on this one yeah I must say one of the one of the greatest podcasting sins is in the first minute saying that you're <laughs> bored talking about the subject the podcast is about to be about so we're going to work with Johnny on his <laughs> podcasting stuff here we need to get him on some more podcasts he's always good but uh, if you are just the podcast fans if you're not on Bleeding Green Nation checking out their stuff he just had an article the all 22 article for the Eagles offense dropped today uh, be sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Johnny Page Nine. Check out his articles. It's some of the best film content that's out there. So, Johnny, let's dive into it. The Eagles dropped their game on Christmas Eve against the Cowboys, 34 to 40. Uh, you and I were on the instant post-game reaction show. We had a lot of opinions about the game, but it's always interesting to take your broadcast opinions, lay them over the film when it comes out, and come back and talk about what changed. So Let's start off with the Eagles offense against the Dallas defense. This is what you just put your article up about. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you saw in that game and and maybe some opinions that have changed based on the All-22 film uh, since that game on Saturday. Yeah, um, let's start. Let's go somewhere actually where maybe people wouldn't think we'd go. Let's go to the running game first because the running game wasn't very good. The numbers weren't very good. And I think my initial reaction was maybe to blame the Eagles a little bit, to also speak about the lack of Hurts impact. But on the rewatch, actually, I think the offensive line got beat up a little bit in the run game by the Cowboys' defensive line. And that was something I maybe wasn't expecting. Um, It was a slightly strange one because the Cowboys were really aggressive against the Eagles' running game. I mean, to be honest, if the Eagles had a quarterback that wasn't Minshew out there and it was Hurts, they could have thrown the ball 60 times in this game because the amount of times the, the Eagles lined up to run. And I was like, don't run it. There's, there's simply not the numbers. There's not the angles to a block. Um, but what the Cowboys linebackers did was they got they um, sort of came downhill very quickly. And when the Eagles run this, or every team when they run the zone running game, you normally double team a defensive tackle, and then the guard will normally pull off and get to the second level and get to the linebacker to try and create like a sort of hole. Um, they couldn't do that at all. 
there was I could I, I posted one clip in the article of Isaac Samardi not being able to do it, but I could have posted a lot more. Um, the Cowboys linebackers were so aggressive downhill. And I think actually the offensive line got beat up a little bit in the run game. Um, and maybe that surprised me. I think I underestimated how good Micah Parsons was as well, as painful as it is to say he is a one-man wrecking ball at times on plays. Um, he didn't care about Minshew in the read option game. He just crashed the edge. From the second half onwards, I think he gave up. I think at the start, he sort of probably trusted his eyes. And then second half, he was like, no, Minshew's not carrying any of these. And he just came downhill um, time and time and again. So I think the running game is an interesting thing to consider. And I actually said this in the article. I think we've given the offensive line a lot of credit. And, and they're obviously very good. And Stoutland is very good. But you cannot underestimate how important Hurts is. I think Hurts is the biggest part of the Eagles running game. I think he's more important than any single offensive lineman. Um, I think he is the key to that run game because he basically gives you an extra player in the box. And without that player, we saw that basically the Cowboys could stop the Eagles running game quite well. So that's probably my biggest takeaway that changed was just how strong the Cowboys were up front. Um, and I wonder if that's something that other teams will do as long as Minshew is a quarterback. They'd rather shut down the Eagles running game and try and put the game on uh, Minshew instead. Yeah, I, I charted that 60% of the Eagles rushing attempts came against a stacked box. And it's interesting that that was the Cowboys approach. You know, it certainly makes sense against a backup quarterback to load that up. But the Eagles still have A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. They got Dallas Goddard back and the passing game was quite good. Um you know, it didn't look the same. It didn't look as impressive. And certainly Minshew struggled a little bit in the first half. But once it got going, once he settled in, the passing game was really good. And I thought the Cowboys continued to stack the box. And that did surprise me a little bit. And that's certainly not something that you would see uh, if Jalen Hurts was in there. And let's not forget the Cowboys were down multiple cornerbacks too. And so for a team to look at the Eagles offense and know that they are weak against the pass with so many defensive backs out and continue to stack the box and dare them to throw it, I thought was telling. I'm not sure if the Saints will do that. I'm not sure if the Giants or whoever the Eagles play in the playoffs, if, you know, if God forbid Jalen Hurts isn't back, will choose to do that. But it's what the Cowboys did. And, and I honestly didn't think it worked that well for them uh, in terms of forcing the Eagles to pass. Their passing game was quite good in this one. Yeah, um, actually, surprisingly, I think some people have been quite critical of Minshew, which maybe you need to evaluate what you think a backup quarterback can do. Um, on Minshew, I think one thing that I didn't notice, actually, I didn't actually post much about this in the article, so this is a bit of a uh, bonus for the podcast, is that Minshew sort of broke down in the end of both halves. Um, I didn't talk about it in the article because I don't go more than 15 clips or I'm posting forever and writing forever. And I couldn't do every single first, second, third down. But if you remember, at the end of the first half, they were near field goal range. And he basically, I think he threw three straight balls basically out of bounds. And then the end of the game, and that was funny enough, it was after he spiked the ball on first down. It was interesting that Sirianni said he wouldn't have any regrets about that. Perfect. Personally, I don't like wasting a down. So I would rather just get up and run a play, even if you just sort of throw it down the field one-on-one -on -one coverage like a slot fade or something and if it falls incomplete it falls incomplete um which is what they did on second yes. down anyways they threw that yeah. no ball to Devonta Smith just make that your first down play Minshew was really good I think what Minshew is basically he's, he's not got a great arm and if the first read not is not there he's in trouble he does drift backwards a little bit 
but he's very good at reading the defense pre-snap. He knows what he's going to get. There was the Devontae Smith catch on the sideline, which I posted, the um, sort of toes just getting inbounds on the corner, was a brilliant read by him because the Cowboys were showing um, single high. They rotated post-snap too high, which means that you've got that sort of hole shot in between the cornerback and cover two and the safety. And Minshew read it immediately, and he stared right at the safety and then the last second turned his eyes to the right and threw it in that hole shot. He gave the safety no time to read the play at all. And that's a really high-level quarterback play by Minshew. But the end of half, he seemed to panic. And that's a bit of a concern. Um, if we do end up playing in a close game with Minshew again, and I hope we don't, I think if he does play again, hopefully we can take care of the Saints without it going down to the wire. But in the end of the first half as well, the Eagles kept running, whatever you want to call it, three-level stretch. I call it three-level stretch or sail. Essentially, you've got a short route, an intermediate route, and a deep route to the same side of the field. And I think Goddard was open a couple of times at the end of the first half, and he almost threw it out of bounds deliberately, as if to say, I don't want to get picked here, so I'd rather just take the points. Um, and funny enough, at the end of the game, he got too aggressive and he tried to launch it into the end zone on fourth down when he had Devonta Smith underneath, possibly open for an eight or nine yard game. You never know, Smith might fall forward and get the first down. So I think Minshew played well. The passing game was good overall. I mean, if you think about some of the touchdowns they had, that was the Cowboys selling out, whether they were blitzing him or whether they were stopping the run. The uh, RPO to Devonte Smith when he scores a touchdown. The Cowboys have got nobody in the secondary deep at all. They are totally selling out against the run. So I think overall, though the running game struggled, it did help the passing game because the Cowboys were clearly fearful of the Eagles running game going into it. But I thought Minshew played well. He did burn down a little bit at the end of half. Um, but yeah, I thought he played about as well as a backup quarterback can play. And I actually think he's a pretty good fit for this offense as well because, because he's a quick decision maker, because he gets the ball out quickly, he's a good fit for these, the RPO world that the Eagles sometimes live in. Um, so overall, I think it was a positive performance for a backup quarterback. And I would add on that as well, by the way, is that um, Steichen's gone at the end of the year. He's going to get a head coaching job. That offense is so, so well designed. Um, Whatever Dallas did, they had an answer for it. If they blitzed, they had an answer. The only thing they couldn't solve was the end of half um, sort of no huddle situations. But as I've said, I think that's a limitation of Minshew. But I was so impressed by the design of the offense. Um, the route concepts they ran, the way they set up people like Diggs on the outside, running double moves in early, um, the way they, they sort of altered the offense to run a lot more three-level stretch plays with Dallas Goddard um, because he's so good at that. The only criticism is the Quez Watkins thing, which I think we've touched on by now. Um, but it's it was really good. It was a really good offensive game plan. And it gives me a lot of confidence, actually, that this team will be really good moving forward, even without a potential big weakness uh, right tackle. Um, yeah, moving forward. Yeah, I think I think the, the flack that Gardner Minshew is catching, partially is because if anybody has unrealistic views of what a backup quarterback should be able to do, it's Eagles fans circa 2017 Nick Foles. And so I think that plays into it. Just as the aesthetic differences, you know, we've, we've spoken before about Jalen hurts pocket management being one of the weak spots of his game and he's much improved, but Gardner Minshew was constantly backpedaling and just never looked comfortable in the pocket. And that's not to say his pocket management was bad. It just looked different. And then his arm strength, and we spoke about that on the post-game show, but the ball floats. It's just slow to get there. And so I think maybe that's part of it is just the comparison to Hurts. But I'm with you. I thought Minshew played really well against the Blitz, against the Cowboys Blitz. They blitzed Minshew eight times. He was eight for eight for 96 yards and a touchdown. He had a perfect passer rating against the Blitz. 
And, and that touchdown, of course, coming to Devonta Smith on just as easy of a throw as you can make uh, on that out route against cover zero. So he, he was he was quite good. And, you know, at the end of the day, Dallas had coming into that game the number three DVOA defense, number three EPA defense, number seven point per game defense. And the Eagles destroyed it with a backup quarterback until they didn't. And obviously you had the four turnovers, but the Eagles never punted. And I would argue, you know, the throw to Quez Watkins, the first one was a little late, but that shouldn't have been an interception. I would argue that Gardner Minshew really wasn't entirely responsible for any of those turnovers. It's just general sloppiness Uh, in games. The Eagles have lost this year. They average four turnovers per game in the games they've won. They've averaged 0.7 turnovers per game. They're the third down conversions. They allow at 30 something percent in games they've won. It's 57% in the two games they've lost. And so high leverage plays on offense and defense has been the Achilles heel for these teams, uh, for this team in the two games that they've lost. Yeah. And something else um, actually that really stood out on the film was it's funny how things spread on Twitter. Um, I've seen this stat retweeted everywhere. The Cowboys had no QB hits and no QB sacks. I think, wow, the offensive line was brilliant. The offensive line was good from the Eagles, but the Cowboys pass rush absolutely made a difference. Anyone who wants to ignore, and I get it, we're Eagles fans, so we have to say the opposition are bad and they're Cowboys. And I don't actually think the Cowboys are as good as the Eagles, and that's not just a bias. You can look at most metrics. But Micah Parsons is legit. Um, that Cowboys pass rush is good. That was why I'm surprising they blitzed so much. Um, it was almost sort of like the anti-Gannon. Um, if Gannon had, did that, uh, had played like that and blitzed eight times and got burned, we'd be saying, why are you blitzing? Just rush four. But that sort of life uh, um, as a defensive coordinator. But what really stood out was how little help the Eagles gave Jordan Mailata against Micah Parsons. Um, two things, actually. Number one, they didn't even bother putting Micah Parsons on Lane Johnson's side. So if you want to know how good Lane Johnson is, um, possibly the best, if not top three, defensive player in the league. And the Cowboys basically said, let's not bother. Uh, we'll stick him on the other side the whole the whole time. In fact, even when Lane Johnson went out, it was almost like they just hadn't prepared for it. They hadn't prepared that game to stick Parsons on uh, the other side, so they didn't even bother doing it. But the Eagles really didn't chip, my, uh, didn't chip Parsons much at all. They basically said, go on, um, my last, deal with him. And if you're an offensive line expert, that would be a great game to break down. If I had more time on this game, which I'm not doing, uh, but I would just watch that matchup every snap because it's really interesting. Sometimes my last one, quite a few times Parsons won, but I think you'd expect that. My last has actually not been out maybe as good as I hope this year in a pass protection. He has got beat a few times. So I think he'd be pretty happy with how he played. But it was interesting that the Eagles didn't feel the need to give him extra support. Um, I bet most teams will chip. Um, the Eagles uh, coaching staff were really confident on their offensive line in pass protection. And I think the Eagles offensive line held up. But yeah, to say that the Cowboys pass rush didn't affect the game, I think he's, he's just looking at simply at hits and sacks because it, it, they absolutely did. I mean, I can think of multiple plays at the end of game in particular, where Minshew is literally falling around on fourth down, launching it into the back of the end zone. The end of the first drive, when Minshew's running out to his right and he misses a wide open Devontae Smith because Michael Parsons is literally charging him down. And you can actually see Minshew turn around <laughs> and you can see him go, oh no, and throw the ball out of bounds. Um, so the pass rush did make a difference in this game. But you have to think if we replay the Cowboys again with Hurts at quarterback, um, they'll be just as confident lining up the offensive line the same way they did, which is a good sign. Because if the Eagles can get five five and out into the into um, 
into like receiving positions, then that just opens up what they can do in the passing game. Because from a simple numbers point of view, it's much harder to be creative when you've got a running back or a tight end that having to chip uh, consistently. Yeah, and you don't want to you don't want to make a living asking Dallas Goddard to chip and delay his release into routes. For anybody that doesn't think that the pass rush impact the game, just go watch the fourth down play that ended the game again. It was it, it affected Minshew even if he didn't get hit. But um, last thing on the offense for me, you mentioned Shane Steichen and he's going to get a head coaching job. I thought he did a great job this game from from the opening drive. They run the the little RPO slant flat to AJ Brown, and the very next play they hit the sluggo route. You know, just attacking Trevon Diggs and. If Jalen Hurts is a quarterback, that's a touchdown because he does underthrow that ball a little bit to Brown and he's got to come back to it. But from that one uh, to the, I think it was a Devonta Smith touchdown where they pulled Dallas Goddard across the formation and they rolled Minshew out and Diggs bit on it. That play was set up all the way back when they played the first time, when they hit A.J. Brown on a fourth and three on that same play. Uh, and then later in the game, they were in the exact same play again and hit A.J. Brown for a touchdown. Like Diggs has seen that film. He knows that. He wasn't going to let it happen again, and then the ball's over his head. So I thought they did a great job sequencing plays, and they came in with a really good offensive plan. Yeah, I think what the Eagles do so well is, and we talk about this sort of on the instant reaction, is when people talk about scheme, it can become a big discussion. What does it really mean? It's just about targeting this, the opponent's weakness that you're playing against. And it's amazing how many coordinators in this league and how many people in general think their way is the best way and they will rigidly stick to it, whatever they think. And actually, if you look at Steichen's background and where he's come from, he doesn't really live in the RPO world. He's never really had a quarterback like Hertz. So for him and Sirianni to adapt to their personnel, that is good coaching. Um, and it's really interesting, actually, because Sirianni has never really had a scheme. Some of his quotes were quite scary when he took over. They said, well, what are you like coming from McVay? He was like, yeah, we like motion. We don't want to be at the bottom of motion. Yeah, we like this. We like that. And it was almost like, well, what do you actually believe in? And it turns out, basically, he, he has a few staples. The RPO game is obviously a big part of what he does. But you have a feeling that if Hurts was to get injured and another quarterback was to play, they could just adjust what they do. I think they're just smart coaches. And it has to be said that it's far easier coaching when you've got incredibly good players as well. Because sometimes coaching is just the defense is playing single high coverage a lot. All right. We'll throw it outside to our best receiver one on one. That is good scheme as well. It might seem basic, but that is also scheme. So the Eagles have got really good players. And I think I felt really good about this offensive performance watching it. I know they only scored 27 points on offense, but they had two unlucky interceptions, two sort of freak fumbles in another world. I didn't see the Cowboys stopping that team uh, very often. The only reason why I did at the end, I think, was because Minshew got scared and they needed a touchdown with less time on the clock. I think if you added another minute onto that game clock and maybe another timeout, and the Eagles could have easily gone down there and scored a touchdown. The Cowboys really struggled to stop that offense. So I think from an offensive point of view, Eagles fans should be really happy um, moving forward. Well, let's turn the page onto something that a lot of Eagles fans aren't happy with, and that's the defense. Uh, the defense allows 40 points in this one. Uh, 20 of the points are off of turnovers, off of varying short fields, but they allow 40 points overall. Uh, as I watch this game, and I'm curious to get your thoughts, I thought the Eagles' defensive plan was fine. The execution was greatly lacking, you know, from allowing a third and 30, which I don't know how you do that, uh, to, you know, Avante Maddox on the opening drive, you dial up a blitz again out of a condensed set and Maddox gets a free run at Dak, but can't bring him down on third down and the Cowboys convert and score 
to a fourth and eight penalty on Darius Slay. I just thought there were far too many miscues. Um, you've probably seen the stat floating around about Dak being 24 of 24 against zone coverage. And I hate stats like that. I've been arguing with people on Twitter about that all the day because it's not as simple as playing man or zone. Like 75% of the Eagles zone coverages have pattern matching. They convert, they play out like man to man coverage. Very rarely do the Eagles just spot drop into landmark zone coverage. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that said the Eagles should have played more man, but, that's just they're 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 not going to line up pre-snap and just play man. They like to disguise things and but so many of the times it converted into man coverage and it just got beat and sometimes you had James Bradbury straight up man coverage on CD Lamb before the snap and he just made him look silly. Like it was a great CD game, it was a great Dak game, you know, barring that pick six to open the game. Uh I didn't have a lot of issues with the defensive scheme. It was to me just a lot of execution issues. What did you think uh, watching back the film? Um, I think this is somewhere actually where I've changed a little bit from Sunday. I'm probably more critical of the scheme uh, than you, but not massively. I think the first thing to point out, and Eagle Sounds are going to hate this, is that Kellen Moore had a really good game plan. That was the best I've seen the Cowboys look in a long time. And Dak, I thought, was excellent. Um, I think you could put it down to a number of things. Every, every game is like this, but luck played a part. The Eagles should have sat back earlier on. Reddick made him fumble. They couldn't land on it. Um, there was huge execution issues. Whatever you think of the scheme, the Eagles want to live in a too high world. As you said, the zone stat is nonsense because the Eagles don't just play straight up zone or man. I mean, they quite, I mean, pretty much any snap against trips, for example, you're going to have one cornerback uh, to the lone side in man coverage. Uh, if you want to call it Meg or Mod, whatever you want to call it, they're going to line up the cornerback and tell him to man up that wide receiver. So if that pass is completed to that receiver, are we counting that as a zone snap or as a man snap? Because it's a zone snap with a player in man coverage. So uh, those stats don't really make a lot of sense. Um, execution was a huge problem. And the big plays actually were on it. Sometimes experienced players are not just Scott. So, I mean, I could talk about defense for literally an hour in this game. I'll try and keep it concise. There was execution issues like the um, first CD Lamb touchdown. There's nothing wrong with that play per se. It's a, they've sort of moved to a cover three. CD Lamb should be running a corner route into uh, a cover three defender. That pass shouldn't be on. For some reason, Slay or Scott, whoever it was meant to be, there's not the communication. One of them's obviously got a shout or they haven't heard the call. And there was actually a couple of times in the game where Eagles players were not lined up properly. Um, again, I couldn't tweet this because I can't post everything. But there was one clip where Blankenship literally had to walk over to cover the wide receiver. And he was looking around um, saying, like, am I, am I here? There was, there was just a lot of communication problems. And part of that is because the Cowboys use no huddle really effectively. So one of the issues the Eagles faced was from an execution point of view. That was a good example of one whether Slay or um, Scott should be in that deep third. There was another really bad play by James Bradbury later, and I'll put this in the article. It's just come out now, the defence post. If you're going to blame Gannon, what are you going to say about C.D. Lamb beating him one-on-one uh, -on -one in the end zone with a safety who had inside leverage? And Sorry, he had inside help from a safety, and Bradbury's playing inside leverage. And I've watched that play time and time again, and what we, I don't understand is basic cornerback knowledge is you play leverage based on where you are lined up on the field or based on what help you've got and if you've got an inside safety you don't play a receiver with inside leverage you play outside leverage and you force him inside and Bradbury didn't do that um 
So that's one issue. There was an execution issue. That's not to me scheme. That is players making bad plays. Um, we talked about bad luck, but like, what about the fourth and eight? They called a great play on that where CD Lamb actually was bracketed. It was his own play, but the Eagles were really focused on bracketing CD Lamb. And they had Slay one on one with, was it T.Y. Hilton or Michael Gallup on fourth and eight? I think it was. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. My goodness, Hilton again. I think it was him. And and Slay just gets beat. And I saw some fans saying, was it a penalty? Well, he had outside leverage and Hilton or whoever it was breaks the outside and Slay sort of got in their way. As defender, you have to get out of the way there or you have to not hold him. So that's bad execution. Then you also get bad scheme. Um, There were some plays where the Cowboys just beat the Eagles. There's one example that I tweeted where the Cowboys line up in trips the Eagles are in their classic quads formation. They're four over three to trips. And then what they do is they put CD Lamb in the slot on the other side of trips. So the Eagles are three over two on the right-hand side. They're four over three on the left-hand side and three over two. Slay is one-on-one and Scott is one-on-one. This ends up being man coverage, but it's not man coverage. It's zone coverage. Um, but the deep safety on that side isn't helping out Scott or Slay anymore. He's just deep. And in my opinion, from a scheme point of view, they don't need to help Slay against the Cowboys. Let him play one-on-one. You need to help Scott on uh, Lan. So there needs to be a communication there, a call where they, you want to call it, I call it a cone bracket. There's loads of different names in NFL for the same thing. But it's essentially, let Scott play inside and then let the safety have outside. Or let Scott play outside and funnel um, him inside to where the safety should be. So there were, there were other things that they could have done from a scheme point of view. Um, so you've got execution problems from individual players, you've got scheme problems from some poor calls from Gannon. Then you get plays that have both of them combined. And the third and 30, everyone spoke about for days. Um, it's just rubbish in every sense. And I hate using terms like rubbish because I hate doubting coaches. It's third and 30. You do not need to disguise coverage. The Eagles disguise coverage and play a form of Tampa 2 where Scott has to turn around and run back into the deep half. Scott is a... And he turns the wrong yeah, way. He turns the wrong uh, way. He's also a below average slot cornerback who is not a safety. He's having to sprint back into the um, deep half. Slay ends up covering nobody because there's no one there because you don't need to cover the short zone flat. You don't need to play cover two when it's third and 30. You play sticks. You play cover four, you play prevent. It doesn't matter what you do. You do not play Tampa two and you do not disguise coverage with a cornerback running backwards. The only thing I can think is that that play, which by the way, should never be called at third and 30. And I hate doubting coaches because they're far smarter than me, but I'm pretty sure if I asked Gannon, he would now agree with me. He might not, but I think he would, that he would have that back. And I can only assume that they know him. Avante Maddox is really good as a deep half safety. So that play is meant to be called for Maddox and not for Scott. But even that's bad coaching because Maddox isn't in the game. So you had a combination of things, in my opinion. You had bad execution from the defense. Bradbury, Slay, Scott. There was even one where Marcus Epps, I think, was late to get over for CeeDee Lamb streaking down the field. Normally, when you play three by one, you're... um, sort of safety on the one side of the field will let the cornerback just play man-on-man coverage and he'll have to come across the formation. X was late on that, on the deep uh, sort of vertical route to CD Lamb when Josh Sweat was offside. So the defence had everything wrong with it. It was execution, it was scheme, it was bad luck. I don't think one of the things is true. 
uh, sort of only true. I think the Eagles could play that same game with a very similar game plan, with a little bit more bracketing of CD Lamb. Um, I don't think they're going to radically move Darius Slay around to, in man coverage. To be honest, if you want to play cover one and stick C Darius Slay in the slot against CD Lamb, I think CD Lamb might beat him a few times. I think he might beat Bradbury as well. Slay's really good as an outside corner. Bradbury's a much better zone corner. And when you play man coverage and you have a receiver that travels around a receiver like Lamb, who's always in motion, that means you're going to end up with what? Josiah Scott on the outside in certain coverages. Because if Slay gets moved to the inside, who's your outside quarterback? Are you trusting Zach McPherson? Uh, it's not that easy. So I think the Eagles can take some hope in the fact that they just executed really poorly. I do think Gannon deserves blame, though. I think everyone deserves blame. <laughs> it's not a very nice answer, but the players deserve blame. Uh, Gannon deserves blame. And they got a little bit unlucky as well. Um, that's probably a massive ramble, so apologies. But uh, I've watched the defence a lot. I wrote about 2,500 words on it about two hours ago. So sadly, it is seared into my mind currently, uh, that performance. It's It's funny how people greatly dislike quote unquote zone coverage, but you line up against trips with four over three and you have a first in first out first deep route breakdown and it's called man coverage, but it's really no different than pattern matching out of zone because although it charts as man coverage, the the defensive backs don't know who they're covering before the snap, just like in yeah. quarters and things like that. So there's just, I would caution you just if you're listening and you've, you've been on the whole zone versus man thing, just understand it's far more nuanced than that. Um, so, so don't let those stats get you. Uh, there's a whole lot more. And just quickly as well. What's so that. annoying is that the, the way the Eagles play defense this year, and people can say it's because they're playing bad quarterbacks and stuff, and that is partly true, by the way. They're, that is fair. But their communication in the secondary has been brilliant. Uh, it's really good on third down. I think they're first in DVOA in third and long plays. Um, I saw someone tweet earlier on, apologies, I can't remember the exact uh, account handle at me. Um, but they're really good at communicating. And as you said, it's hard. I mean, I'm not a defensive coordinator, as most people listening probably are not. And if they are, they're probably not very good uh, because they should be listening to me. But it's hard to do that. You have to communicate really, really quickly. You have to shout alerts depending on where a wide receiver goes into. It's far easier just to play two man and say, let's do it. The reason why it's easier is because it's easier to beat as well, because offensive coordinators can call rub routes. They can call things to beat easy man coverage. I mean, most good defenses in the league, unless they're elite uh, talent levels will have to do a bit of disguise there's always a bit of zone match very few teams just play basic zone or basic man these days because offenses are sort of too good for that um so the eagles are normally really good at communication so my hope is that although maddox out with um johnson Gardner johnson coming back this won't be a huge issue moving forward so i'm not hitting the panic button yet i'm not at panic stations but I do think it's also a fair criticism of Gallon to point out that you should be able to cope with a few injuries in your secondary um, and that's a coaching point he obviously hasn't coached up the backups well enough or whatever um, because they did make some errors in this week so I'm not excusing Gannon because people are going to listen to this and think I'm saying he's great I'm not excusing him at all there were some really bad calls but the scheme is the scheme it's a philosophy. It's a very popular philosophy around the league. That's why Gannon gets head coaching interviews. That's why he's probably going to leave in the offseason. Teams are not stupid. They see what this Eagles secondary does and they think, we want a bit of that because it's been really well coached and it just wasn't well coached this week. Yeah, and that's one of the concerns. What matters in December is staying healthy and the Eagles are starting to stack injuries. They've been 
remarkably healthy this season, but you know, last week Jalen Hurts gets the sprained SC joint, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, Tyreek Hill missed four to five weeks with that injury, and he doesn't use his shoulder to throw a football. So that's concerning. Like, is he going to come back 100% for the playoff game? I, I don't know. You get Lane Johnson with an abdominal injury. You get your first-round pick knocked out of the game with a concussion, which shouldn't linger, but it's still worth noting. And then you have Avante Maddox going out, and you've already got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out, and you're starting to stack injuries at the most inopportune time. And if you go put on the film, if you don't know who Josiah Scott is, he's the guy that the Eagles are, or that the Cowboys are throwing the football at nearly every play. And if they're not throwing it at him, they're throwing it at Reed Blankenship, who's a UDFA. Like it's just, it's a bad time to start getting banged up. Kazir White had the worst game he's had as an Eagle. He looked atrocious in this game. And early in the year, people asked why N'Kobe Dean wasn't playing at all. And it was that the linebackers are playing quite good. Kazir White's play has fallen off a cliff the last few weeks. And at this point, it's like you wish that Nicobe Dean would have played 10 or 15 snaps a week because you don't want to make the move to a rookie right now, but you wish he had some experience because White is showing a lot of chinks in the armor. And I'm here to tell you a lot of the Cowboys' success was picking apart the intermediate area of the field where there's just too many gaps between Edwards and White and the safeties. And you expect that from Edwards. He's not the best coverage player. He's your Mike. He's your run stopper, whatever. Kazir White's your will. He's supposed to be your coverage guy, and he was very poor in this game and in the couple games prior. So that's something to monitor for the Eagles as well over the middle of the field. Yeah, completely agree with that, actually. I think Kazir White's got away with it a little bit in terms of, because it's hard to blame him, but even on the DAC sack where, um, or non-sack, I should say, where he got out of Maddox's hit and on the third and five, the reason why he's able just to fling it to a wide open guy is Kaiser White just completely loses his guy in coverage who's running a shallow cross. I don't know what happened. This is where sometimes I wonder if that was a miscommunication as well, whether he thought it was zone and the Eagles were actually looked like they were playing standard man coverage on that play. But he just leaves his guy. Um, he didn't have a good game. I think you can be critical of Gannon Ski and not playing the Kobe Dean. I think that's perfectly fair. The way I look at things is I try and trust coaches more than me because I don't watch the Kobe Dean in practice every day, and they do. But I tell you what, I would love to see a game or two where he gets more snaps because I think there is a role he can play on this team. But I also think it's worth pointing out, I've just spent five minutes moaning about miscommunication. And when the Eagles play their dime package, Kaiser White is the only linebacker on the field. And I imagine... I don't know. Again, I don't know how the Eagles do this, but quite often on defenses, the linebacker is the one with the calls. He will set the defense. Do you want N'Kobe Dean being put in that position when he's barely played all year? Suddenly he's the one making calls. If, miscommunic if miscommunication was bad already and you're already having injuries, is it the best time to throw a rookie linebacker in? Uh, it might be because <laughs> he might be that good. But I'm guessing there's a reason why he's not playing right now. Um, but Kaiser White did get picked apart. And that's the other issue with going to more man coverage, by the way, is TJ Edwards is really good. He's had a really, really good year and actually far outperformed what I expected. But he's good in zone coverage to an extent. If you get him lined up with some of the good tight ends in the league, like he did, by the way, with Dawson Schultz a couple of times, and like he was beaten, there is no easy answers. I think the good news from Eagles' point of view is that the Cowboys is a matchup. There might be an easy answer, which is just bracket landlord. I think that probably is 
a much easier answer. When you start playing some other teams that have got two or three good receivers, well, then you can't just play simple man coverage because they haven't got one player anyway. So I think the way Gannon does this is he was he was thinking from a broad perspective of how he wants the defence to look in general. And maybe against the Cowboys, there is an argument you can just double C.D. Lamb. But there's a lot of teams... That- which, by the way, I would prefer Agreed. to putting Darius Slay on him. I would rather bracket Agreed. Lamb. I, I would rather have two not as good guys covering one elite receiver than putting your top yes. corner on him, which is what the Seahawks rolled with for years, not having Richard Sherman travel and yeah. pushing all the coverage to the other side. And I would much rather take that approach if they meet the Cowboys. If you want to um, play more man coverage on defense, uh, which is, by the way, perfectly fine. I think we probably should have this week, but as a general philosophy of defense, go and look at the 49ers offense the past month and tell me you want to play man coverage against them. Because you're going to get McCaffrey out wide. You're going to get Debo Samuel in the backfield. If you want TJ Edwards or Kaiser White uh, playing man coverage on Debo Samuel when he's moving around, or McCaffrey, or George Kittle on TJ Edwards, or, uh, yeah, good luck. I think even I, you can Debo will beat Slay and Bradbury at times. The reason why the Eagles play this form of defense is because it is the hardest level of defense to run. This, whatever you want to call it, quarters or too high. Um, Bill Belichick's ran more of like man-mapped and Vic Saban approach. But this form of sort of, defense where you don't just play standard man or zone is probably the best there is in the league currently and that's why teams want guys like Gannon to be their head coach or they probably will um, and why Belichick's defense is always good but it's really hard it's really hard and a few bad errors can cost you big time and sadly this was the week when it really did cost them against uh, the Cowboys yeah and they do generate negative plays like as, as upset as Eagles fans might feel as disappointed in the defensive performance. It was their fourth straight game with six plus sacks. And when sat, if you look at like the percentage, the points expected on a drive with a sack, it drops so much and the Eagles are getting six sacks or more every single week, it seems like. And so even if you have injuries in the secondary, even if you have uh, miscommunication issues, you would expect to not give up 40 points in a game where you get six sacks. So I think it speaks to the bad breaks like you talked about. The Eagles can generate negative offensive plays when they're on defense, uh, and it starts up front with the pass rush. So as long as that continues to get home, it's going to cover up a lot of the issues for the defense. Uh, and I, it would, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Brandon Graham is now one sack away from hitting 10 for the first time in his career, which I'm pulling so hard for. I would love for him to get a double-digit da- double sack season the eagles are only 12 sacks away from tying the 1984 bears for most sacks in a or no from passing the bears they need 11 to tie 12 to win and they're averaging 6.25 sacks a week over the last two weeks so just some fun record chases we can keep our eyes on as we watch you know the last two weeks in season uh, we're going to throw it to a quick break right now when we come back uh, we will talk briefly about the eagles matchup against the saints coming up in week 17. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back here on the Eagles Players Analysis Podcast. We've put a bow on Dallas Week. We're now turning our attention to the New Orleans Saints who come to Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday The Eagles have a chance to clinch the one seed. They also have a chance to eliminate the Saints from the playoffs mathematically. So a little bit of a double thing going on here. They can secure a bye and they can ensure that the Saints draft pick will be higher than it would be if they somehow managed to emerge from the NFC South. We're going to start off here talking about the Saints offense and how they match up with the Eagles defense. Over the last six weeks, Uh, The Saints have ranked 13th in EPA per play on offense. They've been fifth in dropback EPA, which I'll be honest, really surprised me, uh, and 21st in rushing EPA. They play a lot of heavy sets. That's the first thing that I noticed looking at them on film. It's backed up with the metrics. They only run 11 personnel, which is one tight end, one running back, three receivers, on 43% of their plays. Most teams in the NFL are well over 50%. uh, They're extremely heavy 13 personnel usage, getting three tight ends onto the field. They like to put a fullback on the field, and they utilize a ton of pre-snap motion in the running game. They're the heaviest pre-snap motion run team in the NFL. So this is one of those games that we've talked about communication in the secondary. This is going to be a big game for communication up front with the big guys, with the linebackers, because they're going to motion guys around. They're going to try to create uh, confusion in, in gap integrity in the running game. And they're not afraid to run into stacked boxes. They do it on 41% of their snaps. So this is a heavy running team, a heavy motion team. And then they run play action passes. Not a lot. They only run play action passes 13% of their plays, which is a very low number, but they have the highest uh, positive play rate when running play action in the league. So they should run it a lot more than they do, but uh you know, Andy Dalton is still at quarterback. Jameis Winston is still on the bench. Uh, Andy Dalton struggles if you can get pressure on him. So hopefully the Eagles pass rush can get home. But for me, this starts up front with winning the battle in the trenches with the offensive line uh, and putting them into obvious passing situations where Kamara is not a threat. Uh, what do you, As you look at the Saints offense, what, 
what kind of pops out to you as some of the key matchups to watch here, Johnny? First of all, because I should have checked this before, is Chris Olave expected to play now? Do you know? Uh, the last I saw, he's questionable. I haven't seen the official injury report. I think it could though. be quite interesting because firstly, I think this will be a heavy five-man front game again. I think the Saints are going to try and run it and the Eagles' first job will be to stop the run. Andy Dalton's actually played quite well. I haven't studied the Saints' offense, but if you look at most metrics, he's been a lot better than you would think. Um, and Jawan Johnson seems to score a touchdown uh, every other week at the moment. So they can throw the ball. The problem is they haven't got great uh, weapons. But as you mentioned, communication will be an issue this week because they use a lot of motion. Taysom Hill, um, who's someone who started him at tight end this week, is a roller coaster on every play because you don't really know what you're going to get. But you have to be willing to stop the read option. He can do the same kind of things that Hurts can do in terms of giving you a plus one in the box, which will probably force the Eagles to stack the box a little bit more than they'd like. But I think the interesting thing will be actually we might get a little test of um, seeing how the Eagles deal with another top receiver. Because if Chris Olave does play, not only is he very, very good, but he's also significantly better than the other receiving options. And if you are the Saints watching what Keller Moore did this week, you are thinking, well, let's get Chris Olave in the slot and let's keep throwing him against whoever's covering him, possibly uh, Josiah Scott, because I doubt um Charlie Guns Johnson will be back this week based on what I've read. So it could be a little chance to see how the Eagles adjust because like we've already said, I don't think they're going to start moving Slay or Bradbury to the slot. So we might need to see some bracketing. We might need to see some support provided. So it'd be interesting to see them because I, in some ways, I don't hope Alave plays because we need a win as Eagles fans. But in some ways, I always hope he does because I think it will give us a, another look at how the Eagles deal with a team who has a significantly better receiver than everyone else they have. Although the other random guy, that Rashid uh, Shahid, always seems to make a huge play on red zone every Sunday when I'm watching as well. So he's also one to watch down the field. But if you're a Saints, if you're the Saints offensive coordinator, you are looking at the Eagles defense and you're looking at the Cowboys just did and going, right, let's get Chris Alave in the slot as much as possible and, and see what happens. So we'll see how the Eagles adapt to it because I don't think you want Alave on Scott very often because Alave is really good. He's had a really good rookie season. Yeah, and uh, you, you look at, you know, they're off. Let, let's look at them up front. So Andy Dalton, he's one of those players that's better against the blitz. Ever since I started looking these splits up, it's become really apparent. There's like a bell curve of quarterbacks and how they handle the blitz. The really bad quarterbacks and the really good quarterbacks are better against the blitz. The good ones, because they can sniff it out, think Tom Brady, and they know who's going to be open. The bad ones, because they're really not reading the field anyways. It just takes away men and coverage because they're going to get the ball out so quick. It's that middle tier of quarterbacks that you want to blitz because it's effective. And Dalton doesn't reach that middle tier. Uh, his yards per attempt goes up 2.1 yards. He's got a 7 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio against the blitz versus at 10 to 7 when not blitz. But he does crumble when he's pressured. So the key for the Eagles is to get pressure without needing to blitz. And that's something they've been really good at this year. Uh, the Saints have a pair of offensive tackles that have been pretty good this year. And James Hurst and Ryan Ramchuk. Uh, Eric McCoy at center is obviously a really good player. He ranks third among centers in pass block win rate, fifth and run block win rate. Uh, he's a very underappreciated center. But their offensive guards are vulnerable. They've got Andrus Pete and Calvin Throckmorton. They've allowed 41 combined pressures this season, despite only playing 11 games each. So perhaps you see a Javon Hargrave game here. Maybe Fletcher Cox is able to be disruptive rushing on the interior. Uh, 
And of course, you can't dedicate too much to try to help them when you've got Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick rushing off the edge. So hopefully this will be a game where the Eagles can get them into passing situations and then just bring so much pressure against Andy Dalton that he crumbles. Yeah, I think that's always been the book on Dalton, hasn't it? Um, he's one of those sort of classic Jimmy G type quarterbacks where surround him with really, really good talent, put him in a good system, he can execute. But the second things go outside of structure, the second things go off script, if the Eagles get pressure on him, um, I hope uh, it would be a bit bizarre if they do have a bad defensive game because then the knives really will be out again. And the Eagles might be the first team in NFL history to want to fire their defensive coordinator and also break the NFL sack record in the same season, which would be hilarious, but also very Philly. Um, so, yeah, the Eagles could do with a bounce back game. And from a selfish point of view, this is the week to get Brandon Graham that 10 sack. This is the one because um, Dolan will hold the ball in the pocket um, and he can't really get out and escape plays, whereas Daniel Jones the week after can run around a bit more. So fingers crossed, this is the week for Graham. I wanted them to give Graham the full sack uh, against the Cowboys, and they gave half of it to Indomitian Sue, and it should have been a half sack, and that's fine, but I'm going to be so upset if Graham ends up with another half sack somewhere and then tops out at nine and a half. I'm going to be really disappointed for him. So that's I'm definitely rooting for that this week. So let's flip over to the Saints defense against the Eagles offense over the last six weeks of the season, which is an arbitrary number that I chose, but I didn't want to let represent the whole season. Let's see how they're playing, you know, in recent history, the, the Saints rank 10th in defensive DVOA or not DVOA, excuse me, EPA, their third and drop back EPA. So they've been quite good as a pass defense, but they're 26th as a rushing defense. They, run a base four or three about 20% of the time. They're in various forms of nickel with four or three down linemen about 47% of the time. So they kind of base out of nickel. Uh, and they, you know, a lot of teams have a tendency. They run one high shells or they run two high shells. They're pretty mixed. They're pretty balanced about half each way. But they run man coverage on about a third of their snaps, which is a pretty high percentage league-wide. And they have the third high or the third most positive play rate out of man coverage, but they're second in zone. So it's a very good secondary. Uh, they're, they're very good with their coverages. And part of that is they drop eight 25% of the time. So this is not an aggressive team. They don't come after the quarterback a lot. They'll use extra men in coverage. They are the most effective team in the NFL when they blitz, but they only blitz about 12% of their snaps. So that's 30th in the NFL. When they do blitz, Demario Davis is the guy to watch. He's their linebacker. He has eight sacks and 16 pressures, despite not getting a lot of pass rushing opportunities this year. So he's someone to watch over the middle of the field. But if we talk about a game being won in the trenches, this defense for the Saints doesn't win a lot of games in the trenches. They're 32nd in pass rush win rate. They're 26th in run stop win rate, which you would expect that with the pass rushing as much as they drop eight. This is a team that's very, very good in the secondary. Their communication is sound. Uh, if I am Shane Steichen, this is the game I want to get the run game going, which could be problematic without the threat of Jalen Hurts missing Lane Johnson. But I think they're going to try to get the ball to Miles Sanders and get the running game going early in this one. Yeah, this is the week because I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure most of us are, Jalen Hurts seems very, very unlikely to play. And it seems silly to risk him. And as you mentioned, the Saints are pretty good against the pass. I think I haven't looked at the numbers convinced. I think EPA, they were about, they were top 15 um, against the pass, whereas they were about 20th against the run. And actually the Eagles 
as good as their running game has been, the last couple of weeks it hasn't been all that, as we spoke about at the start of the podcast. So this is sort of a bit of a get-it-right game. The, the offensive line needs to be able to run without a mobile quarterback. You can't just rely on Hurts running. And who knows, when Hurts, when he does come back, who knows if the Eagles are going to want him taking 15, 20 hits on a bad shoulder anyway. So um, we saw last, we saw against the Cowboys, actually, the Eagles run a lot of zone concepts. There was a lot of uh, read option, RPO style. They didn't really just run a lot of under centre, we're going to bully you football. Um, maybe they, this is the week to do it. Maybe this is the week where they say, we are just going to be better than you. We don't care if you stack the box. We trust our offensive line and we are just going to run it and run it. And obviously they can still throw. They've got two great receivers. So the Saints can't completely set out and just run blitz every play. Um, but as you said, I think this could be the week. It should be the week. So I think the Eagles do need to prove that they can actually get back to running the ball. Or there'll be a little bit of a concern with the Eagles running game going into week 17, which is not what you want. Um, one thing this team has been really good at this year is being able to beat teams in different ways. And they did struggle big time to run the ball against the Cowboys. So if I was them, uh, that is what I'd be doing at the start of the game anyway, to sort of almost to prove to myself as well that um, the Eagles can run it without the impact of Hurts because it'll be a problem if they're relying solely on Hurts' mobility to have a successful run game because there's no guarantee that even if he's back, the Eagles are going to want him carrying the ball anywhere near as much as he was uh, beforehand. Yeah, I, I really expected on preview shows last week, I said that I thought the Eagles would be more of an under-center run play-action team with Gardner Minshew. It open, if you don't have a mobile quarterback, running running out of the shotgun just simply isn't very effective a lot of the time. And I thought they would get under center more, run some duo, some gap things. Uh, and they really didn't. They only had six snaps under center in the game. And either one or two of them was a quarterback sneak. I can't remember if they ran two of those, but they just didn't do it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that shift this week. Uh, I think they need to get under center more. And it's not been their identity at all this season. But Jeff Statlin, Jeff Statlin University. He's the run game coordinator. He's the offensive guru. You got to be able to install that over a two week period when your backup quarterback's in and it suits him better. So I do expect to see more Eagles under center this week. I could be wrong again, though. I thought that last week. Yeah. And even if not under center, just more uh, gap run scheme. So more pin pull, maybe some more looks on the pistol. It was a very heavy inside zone game this week. Um, and they do that because they want to slip the same as the past game. So you can fake. Uh, bubble screens and slants on the outside but overall yeah this maybe it's just a game where you trust the run game without every play being a an option handoff or an rpo you just let them run it and see if they can win the game simply by running all right well i think that is gonna about oh let's get let's get a score prediction here before we wrap up give me give me your score prediction uh, do the eagles clinch the one seed this I mean, week this is the kind of stuff that i never do uh the eagles are going to win the game that will be my prediction um at score let's say to a 20 31 17 quite comfortably um, but do not place any money on anything I say because I have spent about two seconds thinking about that. But I'd be surprised if this team doesn't bounce back. Um, yeah, I favour them to bounce back, even if Minch is a quarterback, which we assume he will be. Yeah, I've got the Eagles winning 28-17, and I will also reiterate you should not take any of my score predictions as gambling advice. We'll leave that to Victor and some of the other guys around here. So 
Uh, Johnny, do you have any any final thoughts? Any anything you didn't get to mention about the Dallas game or the Saints game that you want to fire out there before we get out of here today? I'm looking at the time and it says 52 minutes. And if I kept speaking, I would go on for another hour and 52 minutes about my Dallas game because I've got a lot of points. Um, but no, I think I'll just end by saying that the Eagles prove that there are still a very good offense with a backup quarterback. And there's not a lot of teams that can say that. Can say that. Uh, we haven't spoke about it, but the Lane Johnson injury is obviously a huge concern. My gut tells me he'll be back for the playoffs, whether he'll be fully healthy or not, we'll see. I do think the next two weeks, Jack Driscoll should be more than good enough to get them through those two games, especially considering they need one win only. So I can't really speculate too much on the injury yet. I think we'll see what happens in the um, future. But I think this offense will still be very good, will be my final point. All right. Yeah, it's vital that the Eagles... Uh, win this game so they can pull guys week 18, that they can stay healthy, get guys healthy, uh, and be primed for a playoff run. Uh, thank you guys for joining us for the EPA podcast today. That is Eagles player analysis. If you're not following Johnny on Twitter, he's at Johnny Page 9 uh, He puts out great film threads every week, and then he turns those into all 22 pieces for Bleeding Green Nation. His offensive piece up is right now. I think his defense piece goes up tomorrow. It's up right now as well. You never know what what, uh, BLG will do, but it is up right now. So you can go and read it the second you listen to this. Why would you not want even more Eagles losing to Cowboys content? What else could we do? (laughs) If you are truly, if you are just truly a degenerate that needs to know all of the X's and O's and you are not following Johnny, you're doing Eagles fandom wrong. He puts out great content. So make sure you check that out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at half and half underscore TPL. I'm on YouTube at Shane half NFL. That's H A F F. I'll have some all 22 pieces trickling out uh, over the next day or two before I'm back into my full schedule next week. So thank you everyone for joining us. Be sure you're subscribed to on YouTube, on Apple podcasts, wherever you're listening, five-star rating and reviews really help us get the show out here and we will see you guys next week. I guess I will see you next week. I don't know if I'm going to convince Johnny to hop on again, uh, but hopefully we'll see you guys on a post-game show on Sunday, celebrating the Eagles clinching the one seed and knocking the Saints out of the playoffs. 